Welcome to Conversations, stories from the faculty of the Department of Communication Studies. And we're lucky today to have Dr. Tara McManus with us. Welcome, Tara. Thank you very much. It's and good to be here. My cohort today helping out is Dr. Dave Norris. Always a pleasure, my friend. Podcaster extraordinaire. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll take that hat. I'll wear it today. Well, Tara, you know what? I was thinking, you know, as I was kind of looking over your CV and what you've done, and what got you interested in family communication? What was it that, that attracted you to that aspect of communication? Excellent question. Um, I could. You want the long story or the short story? I would love the long story. <laughs> um, so I started college as a chemistry major, oh. and loved chemistry. Loved the math. Loved the scientific method. Absolutely in love with it. I got to the lab, and realized I did not love being in the lab by myself. Ironic because I'm a quantitative researcher and I enjoy actually being in the communication lab. Um, But so did not enjoy that part, but at the same time, I was also taking a uh, intro to communication course at my university and we were studying everything from intra to inter to small group to mass com and I just fell in love with it. Um, And everything that I did since then, I kept looking back at that course, I'm like, but that was fun. And so I ended up in communication, and then um, through wonderful me-search, my parents were going through a nasty divorce, but my sisters and I were super close. So um, trying to figure that out in grad school and realizing this is, this is the area that I want to study is close relationships. So Now, I know you did your undergraduate at Kentucky. Yes. And then this, to University of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and, then, and then on to Penn State. But yes. tell, me, tell me a little bit about growing up and, and where you grew up and everything. Grew up in Ohio, so southern Ohio, um, in the suburbs of Dayton, so right outside of Wright Pad Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. So on 9-11, we heard a nice sonic boom over our house, and my dad just about fell to the floor (laughs) because no planes were supposed to be flying that day. And being being at one of the closest or largest Air Force bases in the country was a little bit nerve-wracking for folks. but so grew up in a very much a the suburbs of a um, military town. A lot of my friends were former military children, um, and yeah, I'm not sure what more you. Well, you know, you know, in high school, what were your interests and everything else? So in high school, I. Um, Still loved science, but that had been with me for a long time, so I was taking a lot of chemistry and physics classes. Um, But I was also in marching band, which is very common among much of our department. We all played instruments at some point, it seems. So I played violin, trumpet, French horn. I was learning cello. Um, Not good at any of them, but yes. (laughs) Did not continue on after that because I have absolutely no sense of rhythm. So. (laughs) I could understand why that might make it a little hard, especially yeah. in a marching band. Right. But, you know, springs, uh, springs, strings, as well as horns. I mean, those mm-hmm. are two very disparate instruments. What made the switch? Because, you know, I can see violin and cello, mm-hmm. French horn and trumpet, but not violin and trumpet or French horn and cello. I don't know. I think just in my elementary school at the time, we were allowed to do orchestra and band at both. No. And so I 
tried out both and I enjoyed doing both. Um, we moved at one point and so they didn't have an orchestra at that school, which is why I continued playing uh, trumpet and then brought on French horn there. Yeah. Hmm. Marching band, concert band, tried jazz band, but again, no rhythm. So that didn't uh, work out too well. Has there been this kind of kind of conflict or uh, tension between the artistic side and the science side? You really love science. On the other hand, it's art and communication, you know, that's kind of like, has this been an ongoing battle throughout your life? It has. I love reading. I loved literature classes. I loved history classes. So, and when I took my master's degree, it was the first time I'd ever taken a rhetoric class. Mm -hmm. So it was the first time I was getting to read historical texts using some of those similar types of analytical tools. And so there was a brief moment where I thought about studying rhetoric and then realized that I that wasn't going to work. So, just because I love science that much. So, <laughs> and then and then you just got got so involved in interpersonal communication. Mm -hmm. What was it about interpersonal communication that really just caught you by the lapels and pulled you in? To me, that's where we spend the majority of our lives is in our relationships, whether it's work relationships, our families, our romantic relationships, our friendships. These are all the major bonds that we have that just make every day worth kind of getting through. They're the people who help us get through those difficult moments. They're the people who we have the most enjoyable moments with. And so it become, became important to me to understand how can we communicate better in those relationships to make those relationships more rewarding? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes it is difficult to turn to your friend or your romantic partner and say, hey, I think, like in, with my research, it's like, hey, I think I might have an STD. And then to be able to openly communicate about that and get the help and assistance and guidance. We know that there's a lot of judgment there. So how can we kind of try to get rid of that so we can have more open conversations to kind of take care of each other and take care of each other's health? Which gets into one of your really interesting research areas, which is sexual communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that actually came about because I was getting burned out on um, some of the disclosure and family research. Um, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't kind of experiencing a lot of like interesting questions that I really wanted to answer. And so a friend of mine was starting to think about some issues having to do with kind of sexual health and communication with friends. And I'm like, oh, I'll jump onto that. And now my she's starting to leave academia and my research is kind of <laughs> taking over where she left off. So that's great. Yeah. What are, what's probably been some of the most interesting journeys, research journeys you've had? Interesting research journeys. I think kind of as things have unfolded over the last several years, where I'm getting ideas to research and how those are starting to unfold, I think has been what has been at least energizing for me, maybe not interesting. Um, those have been the ones that have gotten me excited to get back to into kind of collecting data and analyzing data. Those are the projects that um, are helping me build kind of networks is taking a look at kind of how do we talk about sexual health issues, what's going on in society that's in impacting our our ability to talk about these issues. So right now I'm working on a kind of a large project looking at our memorable messages about um, pregnancy and abortion to try and understand kind of what motivates people. Um, 
and kind of what are the sticky messages in our head that influence the way that we understand this more public conversation and kind of influences the way that we make assessments about our own behaviors and what other people do. So that way, hopefully, we can have a better way of understanding why people have their positions kind of socially, as well as thinking about how can we help each other better understand and accept one another's positions. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that really answers the mm-hmm. most interesting question. Yeah, but. but but it is fascinating research. When you moved your line of inquiry towards this line, th- this particular focus, you know, admittedly you said what you were doing kind of wasn't exciting you to the point where you were feeling that fulfillment. What's fulfilling you now about about this particular line? I mean, obviously there's 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 an interest and there's a need for this type of research. Mm-hmm. But what do you find personally gratifying as you're doing this work, especially as you're kind of taking on more responsibility as your colleague is kind of is transitioning out? Yeah. What I find kind of personally rewarding is that I think it impacts not just me, but it impacts other people on like a daily social level. Um, So it's helping us find a way to better have conversations about really difficult issues um, and hopefully at least provide some understanding as to why we hold these positions, as to why we act the way that we do when it comes to um, our sexual health and well-being and our and our um, pregnancy decisions and things to that extent. Knowing that the research has an impact above and beyond what I find daily intriguing and that it's helping other people, I think is really what's motivating. I can see that. I mean, there really is, at least in our society, sometimes there's a real reluctance to have some of these conversations and to be able Mm -hmm. to do some research that can hopefully help improve that level of communication, I I can understand. I would feel very rewarded about being able to contribute as well. Yeah, and doing it at an interpersonal level, I think, is a little bit different than what a lot of my colleagues are doing within the department, kind of studying these things at a very public message level, Mm -hmm. but really focusing in on the interpersonal relationships because we communicate differently with people that we know Mm -hmm. than we do with strangers. So, and kind of, it's, if we can start to build some sense of community and identity with the people that we're close to, it makes those larger conversations, I think, I hope, a little bit easier. Even my rhetoric colleagues will talk about the importance of identification in a message. So at an interpersonal level, we, it's easier for us to build those. So you do, you know, you're doing your uh, research in interpersonal communication. Do you ever have family members or friends kind of saying, oh, you know, you're just... Uh, don't make me part of your research project or something like that. It's funny that you say that. Um, I hear stories about how you met your partner are um, very important in these conversations. Um, that was one of the first questions my husband said to me when he and I started dating. He's like, are you going to analyze my conversations for your research? <laughs> and that was kind of the, one of the, the baseline conversations that we had before we even got into dating. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. And so like that and that like friends, family, how do I handle this? I'm like, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> So, and I think that's, you know, it's it's funny for me, um, but I, it's also difficult because they really are coming to me because they want help. And that's why you go to your friends is because you want help and assistance. So it is, I'm not, your, I'm not a therapist. I can't tell you what to do, but I am your friend. So I can tell you what to do. Right. 
<laughs> kind of balancing that is a challenge sometimes. Well, well, tell us about how you met your husband and everything else. Was that uh, in college or in, um, you know, after graduating? Uh, he and I met here in Las Vegas, uh -huh. um, so at a boot camp. Um, so being very active, he and I are both fairly active, and so we met at a boot camp uh, here in Las Vegas. So I was already here at UNLV, and he was already living here in Las Vegas at the time, yeah. A boot camp? Well, now, what's a boot camp? So um, a boot camp is kind of like an, it, back at the time. I don't th see them advertise that much anymore. It's all about CrossFit right now. And, it's, you yeah. Know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so boot camp's maybe out of favor. Right. And so it was kind of like CrossFit but outside. So it's like a group exercise class where you're doing both physical um, like strength training as well as a little bit of endurance training. But you're doing it as a group and... A lot like sometimes you would do like group exercises, but sometimes you'd kind of compete a little bit. And uh, basically, it was kind of one of the last exercises of that particular boot camp day out at this park. And uh, he and I were kind of in the same group competing against each other. And it was, we had to like run around in a circle. I'm an endurance athlete. Um, so. I kept getting closer and closer, and I ended up beating him by the end of this whole pot pass. And, That's great. Uh, he got a little frustrated, but it was enough to get him to introduce himself. So There you go. <laughs> Actually, that leads me to another question, because uh, 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 my wife and I are very competitive when it comes to racquetball. Ah. So do you guys, are you still competitive? Uh, is there any ongoing competition that keeps you guys going? Um, I think we're supportive, competitive with each other. Like we're good about cheering each other on with things, largely because our sports of interest don't really overlap. <laughs> um, he hates running. I love running. Um, I strength train because I know it's good for me, not because I enjoy it, but he actually enjoys it. Um, so we've always been really good about kind of supporting each other and cheering each other on and encouraging one another to do one another's activities because we know the health benefits of it. Um, but we're not especially kind of competitive in, with like a mean streak, if that makes sense. Like yeah. a kind of one up one another. We yeah, don't really yeah. do that too much. No, we don't do it either, except that <laughs> she does remind me I lose <laughs> regularly at uh, racquetball. Well, you know, one of the things I was interested in, too, was uh, who have been your mentors? My mentors, so probably some of my best mentors have been um, Tamara Fifi. She was my, dis my uh, first, she was not my dissertation advisor. She was going to be. Um, who is of extremely well-known family communication scholar, um, but she had moved to another university. So John Nussbaum um, became my my dissertation advisor, and he was an excellent mentor for me for several years. Um, and even after finishing my PhD, he really did an excellent job of showing me what it was to be a good mentor, a good human, and what it meant to be a good scholar or a good human scholar, I guess, <laughs> losing the phrase that I want to say, but like what it meant to be a good person in the scholarly community, um, which is kind of juxtaposing kind of people who are kind of a little bit more bullyish and things like that, because I was dealing with some of that at the university as well in grad school. Um, so kind of seeing both of those kind of models, both from Tammy and um, John, as well as some of the other models that I had around me, he really provided an excellent kind of ideal of what you want to be in terms of just supporting people in good, healthy ways and encouraging people to be themselves as scholars. 
mm-hmm. um, while embracing and recognizing what it meant to be a scholar in, in academia today. So he was he's probably my first big mentor. And then um, David Henry, who was a former department chair, was my other mentor, especially once I came here and started transitioning into being a professor. Yeah. And, and since you've been here, you've actually done a lot of service as well. Uh, you've yeah. served as undergraduate coordinator and graduate coordinator. You've not graduate coordinator, just undergraduate coordinator. But I know you've been very involved in service to, to the department. Sir, I think service is important. I mean, a, the university can't run, our professions can't run without kind of the additional work that we do to kind of help things kind of happen. I mean, uh, undergraduate programs can't be managed. Our students' um, course needs, their, their kind of matriculation needs can't be met if we're not paying attention to it. And the primary role of a university before research even is to be teaching and to kind of be giving to the community so that they're well-educated and able to engage in the community themselves. So it becomes imperative for us to be fulfilling those roles at some level and also rotating through those roles as well. So, Talk to us a little bit about your teaching. Um, maybe tell us about some of the classes that you teach and do you have a particular teaching philosophy that you try to embody in the classroom? Yes. So I think for me, when it comes to teaching, it becomes imperative that students are engaged in the learning process. And that can mean and take on a lot of different kind of looks, right? Um, so they, I want them both engaged in the classroom, um, having discussion with each other, ha- engaging in, discu- in a discussion kind of round table with everybody, um, small groups, large groups, um, but also thinking about how those ideas that we're unpacking and explaining and applying in the classroom, what does that mean for me? right, kind of self-reflecting and analyzing their own actions and behaviors so that they can be more informed about who they are and what they need and what skills need to be developed and what their strengths are. Um, but also in get you taking that, translating that, and going into the community with it. Um, so thinking about some of the classes in my advanced relational comm course, they we talk about interpersonal relational communication theories, but then we take a look at social issues and we apply those theories in their final project. They have to analyze that social issue. So for instance, I have um, several groups one semester take a look at domestic violence, and they applied the theories that we were taking a look at to offer a solution to kind of how can we help, not necessarily a solution, how, but a course of improvement, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we improve the lives of these individuals who are experiencing um, domestic violence and engage them in different ways? And we had three, one semester, I had three different groups looking at this problem, and they all offered three different solutions using the same theory but offering different routes for, for individuals to help out. Um, in my, I am teaching a resilience building course, um, so we talk a lot about stress and coping at the individual level and how we do that within our relationships to really help them recognize what are the resources that I have, what are the skills and resources that I need, and how can I continue to build those in the future to make me stronger, to make me and my loved ones more resilient? Um, and so there's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of discussion. Um, and they do a lot of like personal inventories to kind of get a sense of where they're at on things. Hmm. So as you teach and uh, you have these experiences, 
what is, has there been some moments that kind of stand out to you, kind of moments in the classroom or even post-classroom uh, with, with students? So I think some of them, I've had several students email me over the years, um, Dr. McManus, your class was so hard, but my boss at work the other day came up to me and asked me, how did you, how, how, how did you know all of this stuff about research methods? And I'm like, well, Dr. McManus's class, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and he had been out of the class like 10 years at that point. And he had emailed me like, I think like six or eight months ago, but he was explaining like how to create a customer service survey to his boss at work. Um, and so, those are the kind of the moments that stand out the most. Not necessarily, like, I love it when the light bulb, you can see the light bulb, like, turning on bright in the classroom. And all of a sudden, things start kind of falling into place for everyone. But I also appreciate those moments when, like, five, eight, ten years later, someone emails me, like, I still use that stuff today. And so that makes me realize I'm really having an impact. And not just kind of in the moment, but also kind of long-term long for term, people. Right. Yeah. yeah, we wish they'd... Uh, get that epiphany short-term rather than long-term. <laughs> right. But, I mean, short-term is really important because hopefully it sticks with them and carries into the long-term. Um, but I think sometimes it takes some practice with ideas before it really gels. And so the short-term, sometimes it helps. Sometimes you just need more practice with the ideas. So, Well, is there something that we should have asked you in this uh, podcast that we haven't? That Something that... Uh, the, the, the oh, I, I've, I've got a question before we get there. Okay. Tara, we've talked a lot about what you do kind of for your research in the classroom. We did get to chat a little bit about how you met your husband, but when you leave UNLV, what do you like to do? Tell us, a tell us a little bit about something when you turn off that academic part of your brain, if you can do that, right? But you're just trying to have some fun. What do you like to do? I love to go out for a run. Um, that is where I find my peace. That is where I find my calm. That is where I can just relax and be with myself. Um, I read a lot and I travel as much as I can. Um, so we just got back from Death Valley doing some hiking and such out there. Um, we go down to uh, Arizona a couple times a year just to relax and unplug. Um, kind of in a rural place just um, south of Sedona. Um, we go, I mean, I've, a couple years ago we went to Paris, I've been to Prague. Um, so anytime I can kind of get out, see different cultures, kind of experience those places. And we try not to stay in the hotels. We try to like rent out an apartment or something for a few days and kind of try to pretend like we live there or something to kind of experience it as much as possible. Um, those are the things that I love to do the most. And if I can't really get out, out, at least I'm at home quiet with my dogs and kind of relaxing. I'm a bit of an introvert, so. Uh, that sounds good. <laughs> do you have, of all the places that you have traveled, is there a place that really has struck you as, oh, I feel myself being at home here, even if you're thousands of miles away? Um, probably anywhere in kind of the west coast of Ireland. Oh. Um, it is just beautifully green and calm there. And there was just kind of a sense of, like, 
every and granted I'm on vacation I didn't take any books with me so it's very easy to feel calm there um, <laughs> um, but it was everybody was friendly but not nosy like it was easy to kind of get around in towns without having to drive everywhere um, and so kind of building the, those more resilient communities right that we talk about here so often a lot of those towns are a lot more like that it felt like of course I was a tourist so living there might be different but um, that was probably probably the one space that I would love to mm -hmm. Like, if I were to have a second home, mm -hmm. that would probably be it. West coast of Ireland. Yeah. All right. I'm going to file that one away. This is a place, <laughs> place I may need to go check out. And then tell us about your dogs. Oh, I have two dogs. One um, I got about a year after I moved to Las Vegas. Um, so she's 14 years old. She is my heart and soul. And my husband's a little jealous of how much I love her. Um, <laughs> and then, and she, but she's a little bit um, picky. Um she likes mom and not much of anyone else. Um, and then I also have a pug named Bacon hmm. um, because he makes pig noises. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he is super friendly and will make friends with anybody. So those are, those, those are who I curl up with at the end of the day. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. Is there something we should have asked you about in this interview that we haven't? The dogs, but you already did. So there you go. Great. Well, thanks, Tara. We so appreciate this. It was so nice to get to know you oh, more. This was fun. And uh, thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.